Thank you for tuning in to The Coolest Show. We continue our cop coverage with Rev live on the ground with two more exciting interviews. We check in with Rashida Ferdinand from Sankofa Nola, and we have Pastor Timothy Greer from Revelation Christian Ministries. Thank you again for tuning in. And now back to The Coolest Show. This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. So, Rashida, uh, welcome to The Coolest Show. Um, What are you doing here at COP? I am honored to be a part of this Climate Justice Pavilion. I'm invited by Deep South Center for Environmental Justice to talk about the work that we're doing in the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans, the work that centers around community engagement, leadership, and resilience to restore our land into a healthier space. Talk more about, before we even get to that, I know, Christian, I'm from Louisiana too, and so it's it's always good to see folks from the booth, and I know that you also went to one of the best schools in the country, Howard University, so it's always good to be folks from Howard as well. Um, what what got you involved in this work? Well, actually, before you get that, you know, what is your organization? and talk more about that, and then how to get into this one. Sure, sure. My organization is called Sankofa Community Development Corporation. We started in 2008, organized with some community stakeholders on my porch. We were trying to just look at ways we could restore this community. Um, People were displaced. It was decimated by Hurricane Katrina disaster, and things weren't moving very fast. Things weren't happening, and we wanted to put some action um, and implement some things to make this make this make this neighborhood um, back and better than what it was before. Um, I'm from the neighborhood, parents from the neighborhood. Um, even my father's mother grew up in, in the neighborhood on the same street that I live in and so wow. I, you know, felt, you know, because my, I own my house there, um, definitely a connection, the commitment to doing that work. Um, I really am from the um, Howard University School of Fine Arts, College of Fine Arts. All right, so, all right. Yeah, that's, 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 listen. <laughs> and for folks who, who who went to Howard know that distinction, it's funny because three of our, we have three producers for the uh, uh, the Coolest Show, and uh, one of them uh, went to Howard as well. And uh, I actually, I'm not sure where, I said, she never said where with school. She definitely went to, but I'm sure if anyone went to Howard knows, you clarify. <laughs> right. With that. Right. You walk with that right. up front. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, we we have a lot of different. We have the business, the you know, the uh, film schools, medical schools, and so I was at Fine Arts, and I'm a potter, I'm a sculptor, and I was you know, living my life, doing that work professionally and um, wanted to apply my skills and resources to more 
um, more after I returned home. I didn't feel comfortable only making pots, and I wanted to apply that work to support development of my community. Let, let's talk about that. And I, I know I'm from the I'm from the boot, and I know it's Ferdinand, right? How, how do you say your last name? I say Ferdinand, but Ferdinand. That is well, <laughs> and I say that because we got folks will be either Richards or Richard. Independent. Right. right. So first So with you from Louisiana, you know. We we we, we had a little right. we had a little gumbo to it. Um so Rashida, talk about your art first before. I'm interested in that because obviously being with the hip hop caucus, we believe that using one's cultural expression um, can shape one's political experience. Mm -hmm. And I believe that artists see things differently. Mm -hmm. You feel things differently. You, you encounter things differently. So as you're here and you're dealing with not only just the activity mm -hmm. at COP, but even just the, the energy, mm -hmm. what, what do you feel as, a, as an artist? I think um, what we find in artists are people who tap into their artist selves and their creative spirit is that we, we see the world in possibility. We see a hope of what could be created, um, what could become. There's a memory also of what was there before and knowing that things are not stagnant, they're not finite, there's no stop and start, start and stop. Um, and it's okay to share, learn, reinvent, um, you know, redevelop things. Um, we, we are informed as artists by those who came before us. Wow. We're, you know, we're influenced by that. We study that. And um, that, be, that was the namesake of the organization. Um, I was drawn to the Sankofa bird as a child. I learned about the bird and I love that. I love that. You know, I've actually in my school. And for folks who yeah. don't know, explain a little bit about the Sankofa bird, but it's for folks who listen may not understand that and, and for those it's, it's a bird if you've ever seen it that that it's looking backward right but going forward but, but explain it's from the Akans peoples of Ghana and Sierra Leone and it means go back to your past to build right. for your future and I learned about that concept and that bird as a child actually creating art um, right. we were assigned to pick an indica symbol and replicated and I made these plates with it. So it resonated to me even being at as Howard child? as a child. Wow. Um, the drawing, the beauty of the yeah. bird and at Howard, Holly Garima's Sankofa Booty yeah. launch when yeah. I was there. Um, and the concept's just been a part of my, kind of my identity. Yeah. And so when we started to develop the, the concept for the organization, it kind of resonated to us that we want to create an organization that has memory and honors the legacies of people who are from the Lower Nine, who built their homes, built their communities there. Um, so we started, that's what, that's what we called the organization. We started as a monthly marketplace. It was a cultural space. It was a place for musicians and the Mardi Gras Indians and um, visual artists and food, culinary artists. It was a, a gathering space for people to see each other who had not, you know, been together since they evacuated and so I just highlight a place of love and fun and, and health and wellness. Uh -huh. We just grew the organization from that space, from that space, from this marketplace uh, on the corner of... And that would be your community? Yeah, that's our community. And yeah. so it's, it was on the corner of what's now Fast Domino uh -huh. Avenue 
on St. Paul Avenue. And um, from there, you know, the mission was always to build healthier communities for generations to come. And mission has stayed the same. It was always about revitalization and being a catalyst for growth and development. And fast forward now to where we are, we, we work in this, this shared partnership model to, to really support community space and bring those yeah. resources that are needed by working with different, different um, professionals and technical experts and um, people who have mission aligned with us to make this work. So that, that could be wetland ecologists, urban planners, public health professionals, community residents and leaders and stakeholders, faith-based leaders, engineers, civic leaders. I mean, wow. those people that make up a city. And, yeah. and so working together so that having this plan, building this, this plan for a better space, a better community, um, you know, integrally connects with groups of people who are doing that work. Being from New Orleans, how has colonialism and how have the profit industry impacted your city? I mean, I think we look at colonialism, you think about power and ownership, and then where are the people who are in spaces that don't have that power and ownership, and what's the, what's the result of their, their um, ability to healthily live in their communities, in their space. So there's lo different levels of how colonialism has impacted New Orleans. There's different power structures as a system of, system of government and money and ownership. But if we also look at how we look at land and um, how we can develop and redevelop, um, especially after a disaster, um, the lack of a system that benefits the people who are living in my neighborhood, 98% African-American, um, you know, majority of people live at or below the medium income level. And so we have to really um, consider what it means to um, have a space where when you are affected, your home is is just destroyed, that you get fair, just treatment, and you're able to live back in your neighborhood Do that you, you still love. that now, 17 years post Katrina, one year post Ida, do you feel like one, the people have received that fair treatment? Oh no, the treatment's not. No, some of us have, and I mean, one of the reasons why I started Sankofa was because my house was still there, mm -hmm. and I had six feet of water. My my area of the neighborhood, where my father grew up, which is, you know, maybe twenty blocks further mm -hmm. north, because the lower nine is a two square mile radius. Houses were gone, yep. and that area has still not been developed. And I'm talking about that area that is the same neighborhood, but it's a few blocks further north, closer to the area where the floodplain level is lower. And so we did not have, uh, people didn't get the resources that they needed that allowed them to rebuild. Their houses were valued at an assessment, a city assessment, but not at the cost to rebuild. The, the labor, the materials cost, and um, then there's also the way people lived in their homes and shared them with families and successions and um, weren't taken, taken, you know, those didn't happen. But it's, it's, it's also the lack of investment in basic resources that people need right. to live. So right. people are not going to come to an area if there's no amenities no. for them to live in and if they don't feel safe and if the streets aren't clean and if the grass isn't cut, public spaces aren't maintained, light is, start, is developed. You know, it's hard to say this is a healthy, safe neighborhood. Yeah. What do you want to see now, now that you've been here in the space at COP27? What would be your hope? 
So the, 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 a critical part of, of the work that we're doing is to ensure that we stay in collaboration of actual implementation of our work, but share thoughts and knowledge. Um, that's really important, whether it's with our um, NGO colleagues, community stakeholders, but see policies in our government be impact, impact our spaces and make sure that these kind of things are not allowed to happen again that the type of uh, um, infrastructure calamities that have been taking place, we're trying to address those. We're building green infrastructure projects, we're restoring land, removing places that were landfills, that were dumping grounds, that illegally dumping grounds, um, removing blight. Um, we want to make sure that these policies are enforced and we don't have to go through five, six, seven different channels to get the people in our government to do what they're supposed to do. So. One of the things I think that's important as we build out, how is the, as we hear, how is the connection with not just expanding this process within New Orleans and in, in America, how are you feeling what you're doing can impact the world and your, your black sister and brethren on the continent in Brazil, around the, around, around the planet? Like, what you went through was, is now utilized. What people have went through New Orleans, Katrina now is a benchmark of, of climate disaster. And now when they see you and they hear your story, they're like, well, hold on. You're like rebuilding. You're, 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 you're restoring. You're hopeful. You're, you're, you're empowering. What do you want them to get from you? And what do you think you can get from them? Well, I think it's important for us to have conversations about what those barriers are. When I heard the panel just recently, um, and especially the um, organization leader from Sierra Leone, and talking about the importance of legal support um, and policy making, and, and how we look at different community leadership spaces, and to not disregard these different systems where people can have voice or do have voice, and acknowledge that, and a distinction between. Um, people's ownership of land in corporate um, title and land need type ownership are not allowing them to just come in and take over land because people have other groups or corporate entities have a good idea that they think is good but not engaging with community stakeholders. So I um, I think that the a takeaway is that the, the way we may want to rethink how we respond to disaster and what it means to have support and volunteer aid and how Valas and other panelists talked about sustainability and importance of that, and temporary volunteer aid to- Talk, talk more about that. I know from our standpoint, we, 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 we connect with like, we think of FEMA, right? Yeah. The Federal Emergency Management Agency. But what do you mean when a different way of response, yeah. a different way of aid, a different way that maybe a PEMA, a People's Emergency Management Agency, where we yeah. ourselves, how, what do you mean when you say a different response? Well, I mean, there were a lot of people coming to come down, and it was it was it's great. It's appreciative to do volunteer um, group um, sessions where they may come for a couple of weeks or even a few months and um, pick up the trash or gut the house and clean the. But we have to also consider the people who live in the house and what they need to have sustainable wealth. Right. What they need to um, understand the legal support for owning their house and um, maintaining its health, you know, the health of the house, the maintenance of the house, what it means to have jobs and um, 
um, being protected in that way. Because that's also a policy that could be, you know, approach of making sure that people are employed. Um, it, it, that's just as important as the kind of the temporary two, three year approach of we're going to help this community rebuild. Because rebuilding is not just about the physical immediate need, it's that long term approach. Um, you know, those are things we have to we have to really consider. Because, you know, the health is going to keep... I meet people still who say they came and did work with doing Katrina and were a part of plans. And, and, and the question I think folks need to consider is who are you feeding? Is it, you know, your personal need to think about this and say that you did this work? Are we revisiting where things are now from what we did and why we did it? Um, I, I just, I, I think that's the, the real thing that, you know, we could talk about. Um, we compare how we address our life post-disaster, during disaster and post-disaster, and what it means for communities that may not have all those resources that outside external groups have, but how do we support this work in a space of empowerment, not just doing things that we think people do. Oh, amazing. So two more things. One, how... How can folks get in contact with you and the organization? And two, are you hopeful for New Orleans moving forward? Um, you know, this in, in general. I mean, I know New Orleans has been making its way back. I'm excited. I'm there every year for the anniversary. I march from the ninth floor to the seventh floor. I. Uh, Sweat and lose a lot of weight on that march. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I second line, so you know, I right. halfway through, right. when I cross the bridge, I, I get a little motivation right. when the second line. But, but it's it's a lot going on in this city, um, and just keeping it one hundred. Um, I'm just I'm I'm praying for my people, for my city, meaning my my city of family of New Orleans, to come back. But I'm asking you, because you're there, are you, yeah. are you hopeful? I mean, I'll be honest, it's really tough. Yeah. I, I can't do this work without faith and without hope, um, but we definitely have a lot that needs to be done. We need to have funds directly allocated to people who need them for housing, for land restoration, definitely for green infrastructure and jobs. To really look at what's happening in our world, on a, in our space in a global sense, to be a part of that movement and ensure that people understand that, you know, they, they have the education to understand it and can apply it to their own employment or entrepreneurship um, and not be behind the times when it comes. Technology is important. So, I mean, I'm hopeful, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. I'm very hopeful for being a part of um, this cohort um, and working with these important partners and feeling like we're doing some work with a purpose and seeing some action take place. Well, we're seeing the now. We, we have a pretty large listener listenership here with the Coolest Show. Please tell folks how they can get in contact with you, how they can support you. Don't hold nothing back now. They, uh, you know, tell how they can support you, how they can find you, and any next steps you got coming up. Yeah, so. You can go to our website. I'll give my website and email address, sankofanola.org. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-NOLA.org. My email is rashida at sankofanola.org, R-A-S-H-I-D-A at S-A-N-K-O-F-A-N-O-L-A.org. 
And my direct line is 504-975-5168. I take texts, emails. Um, you know, we have Twitter handles and all of those things. But if you text or email me, I mean, I can share that out. Our next step is to complete the restoration of our wetland park. We'll be finished in two months, um, 40 acre wetland park. Um, we have a press conference coming up with um, CEO of Urban League and former New Orleans Mayor Mark Morial. My dear friend. November 10th at 10 a.m. Okay, he will okay. be there at the wetland park. Um, when his administration was active, he enacted, followed the policy. He removed um, landfill, a land, he moved trash, and it's a legally dumped space, and that's allowed us to restore this area to a beautiful wetland park. The other half of the 40-acre space still has this trash in it that we need to remove. So it shows the important impact of what he did when he was his tenure as mayor for our community. We're restoring, next step is to restore 430 acres of a ghost cypress swamp, what used wow. to be a beautiful marsh when my father was um, a child growing up there. He and his brothers and friends played out there. It's an open body of water now with dead cypress trees that were killed by saltwater intrusion from the Mississippi River Golf, River Golf Outlet. So our next step is to restore that space. Wow. And there's a lot of other work that we're doing, but I would... I'm happy to share out with yeah. anyone who who's interested to give us a call. Or give me a call or email. And website. Website is sinpofanola.org. Please go there. Uh, check it out. I'm not pushing it because I'm from Louisiana, but I am pushing that because I'm <laughs> from Louisiana. Rashida, thank you so much for being thank on you. the Coolest Show. Thank you, too. Thank you, too. So your, your name and organization? I'm Pastor Timothy Greer uh, from Union and Family Ministries out of Pensacola, Florida. Working with the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice from uh, University. Pastor Greer, it's so good to see you. I'm sitting here with Pastor Timothy Greer here at COP 27 in a little little back room. A little back room. <laughs> here in Egypt. Come on, you know, you know, we can preach that. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, we, Egypt. yeah we can preach Egypt. And then we can do the back room. Yes, Man, it's good to see you again. Likewise, likewise. I, I, I'm just excited. Like I said, when I first saw you, I said, I can't believe that Pastor Goodyear is here and Mustafa's here and, you know, everybody's coming together and we got a platform that we can talk about what's happening in our own communities. For folks who don't know you, who is Pastor Timothy Greer? Pastor Timothy Greer. A young fellow that grew up in Pensacola, joined the military. After joining the military, of course, doing 20 years in the military, the United States Navy. Uh, in the process of that, I became a pastor. I went to Bible college, studied Bible college in San Diego, California. Uh, was ordained in the, in, in the Church of God in Christ, of course, since moved on from that and became more in the Word of Faith and, and uh, connected with pastors like, uh, I guess you could say, uh, uh, Tarnell Nelson, Bertrand Beard, uh, Miles Monroe, and I just saw, my, I saw God putting me in places as I, I began to learn from other pastors and stuff and working alongside other pastors. Uh, I used to be that kind of pastor that was behind the scenes, mm. always working with other pastors. Uh, Bishop Jones out of out of Philadelphia, uh, my, 
God has blessed me to do some traveling all over the world as well as, well as even the United States and uh, being able to do ministry. And that's what Pastor Greer is about. I'm about, about doing ministry and being able to help other folks uh, succeed in life. My passion is, is, is souls, winning souls for the Lord, uh, adding us to the kingdom, preaching a, a gospel of grace, preaching uh, about kingdom living. And so because of that, it has helped me get past the politics. Mm. And, and, when you, and, and when I engage with commissioners and, and uh, city officials, you know, I, I talk to them on, on, from a different perspective. I'm not there to challenge them but to remind them that they have a, a, a civic duty that God has given them to do to take care of his people. Forget that you think that you're working for the government or some form of government, but realize who you really truly are working for. I'm on that. Because you got to get an answer on account for your, the actions that you do. Okay. And when I, when I talk to them, I see God uh, opening up an avenue and a door for me to just kind of minister to them at the same time, help them to come become comfortable that they'll open up and realize, okay, I need to hear what he's saying. Mm. You know, it's something about what he's saying that I need to I need to take note. So that's what Pastor Greer is about. Uh, not trying to make a name for myself, not not, not trying to be uh, uh, out there in the forefront. But but I believe here in the last year or so, God has has, has moved me up front, okay. so to speak. All right. So to, to say something. That's, a, that's, a, that's what we call season. Season, yes, sir. <laughs> we go to different seasons sometimes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So tell, tell me, who, who is your community? My community that we're engaged in right now is the Wedgwood, Olive Heights, and Rolling Hills community okay. in Pensacola. The, uh, the folks who are, that's Florida. Yeah, that's of course, that's Florida. And uh, the things that they have been dealing with, hydrogen sulfites, we, we have 13 boreal pits and landfills. And these folks have been living in this environment for over 40, close to 50 years. The uh, county, of course, from, uh, have allowed different developers, have allowed different uh, companies to come in, give them permits and stuff, and they came in and contaminated a lot of the land. And because of the land was being contaminated, uh, uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, for instance, say we got a landfill that's there, Normally, the requirements for a landfill is that you, before you, or when you start a landfill, you put a liner down. Well, in, 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 in Pensacola, in, that, in the community, they did not put a liner down, so all the debris, the drywall, the chemicals, all the cans and the things that they were putting in this landfill, well, it, it begins to emit hydrogen sulfide. Because of that, we, the community was having flash fires behind a lot of the folks' homes. So to, to compound all of that, they begin to allow boreal pits to be allowed in those areas. Uh, Park Landfill and Shore uh, 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 Eagle Beaver and the different plants and uh, uh, I guess you can say different companies that they allowed to come in, they begin to uh, 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 push the dirt. They have a, there's supposed to be a buffer between each one of these uh, companies in the, in the community. And, and, and I want to say this because I, because the, the the audience that you have, they need to understand something. There is a problem when it comes to zoning, and that's in everybody's community. Right. And one of the issues that we have is that the area started off to be a, 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 a light industrial, but community families begin to move in the area and they begin to develop. And in, in the history of Wedgwood, Olive Heights, and Rolling Hill, 
was a black community with teachers and people that wow. were in construction. I mean, people that had good paying jobs and, and, and you could see the, the, the community development growing mm-hmm. and growing. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, they began to allow these landfills and boreal pits to come in and people begin to excavate dirt out of it. And what happens in the process is that as they excavate the dirt out, once they get to the bottom, now they want to come back and decide what can we do to fill it up. So then they allow them to come in and begin to put debris. It could be it could be uh, uh, and debris to be anything. Construction demolition. Mm. They can bring all of that stuff and drop it in that hole. So we challenged the county commissioners in our community and told them that get your engineers in gear and let them go out and check the things that we're checking, the quality of the soil, the quality of the water that's there, the air, get air, started getting air samples. And so we, we got to begin to get them engaged. And so this is one of the problems that we're facing in these three communities because we just took this on as a project. And again, I thank Dr. Dr. Wright and Dr. Buller because they came over five years ago. Come on there. And went in that community and said, we're here, we want to help. What can we do? And uh, we were fortunate enough to come on, come, come on and come in line with what they were talking about. That's right. Tell, tell me how, how much that matters, having that kind of wisdom and leadership come to the community and then explain these things and then get folks kind of going to be, to be active, to fight back. I think the way they approached us, because when they came in, uh, when Dr. Wright and Dr. Bullock came in, they, they approached it from the standpoint of teaching the elderly, as well as anybody who would want to listen, how to stand on their own two feet and speak with what they needed to say to the to, to, to commissioners or the government or whatever. And it was interesting because of the fact, and this is what really got captivated me, because I listened to what they were saying, and I said, now, what can we do to help these folks uh, get engaged? And you know, when you're dealing with people of age, they don't want to learn nothing new. Their whole mindset is, oh man, you can't teach me nothing. Well, I'm getting older, so I understand. But let me tell you something. <laughs> I never will forget one night in November, 2018, Dr. David Padgett from Tennessee State University came in and was talking to them about learning how to do GS, GIS mapping. Now, far-fetched, old people want to know anything about mapping. But he taught us, he said, I want to teach you something tonight. I want you to take your phones out. And I want to teach you an app that's on there called Where Am I At? Mm. We loaded that ma- that app on the phones and they were really surprised when the app opened up and they saw where they were located. It has three three stages. It has map, satellite, and hybrid. Mm. They were able to hit the satellite version and it actually laid out their community and they can see it. But when they hit hybrid, it put the streets names on them. And that really brought them home. And so he took a group of us out at night in November, cold, I'm telling you, and we walked... Now, cold, now, 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 this is Florida cold. This is Florida now, cold. Florida cold. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, it was so exciting to those people 
Mm. And I'm talking about 65 to 85 years of age. This is the, wow. this age group that we're talking about. And they begin to tap into what it is that, that, that Dr. Padgett was talking about and begin to talk, talk about assets. What are your assets in your community? What are your liabilities in your community? Well, we knew what the liabilities were, right. the boring pits and the landfills. But the assets that were there, were, 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 that were becoming affected, you had churches, barbershops, you had daycares. All of these things were beginning to be affected because of the, 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 the chemicals and stuff that were, were, wow. were, were emitted because they were allowing dump trucks and tractor trailers all this stuff traveling through a, a community. Now, you know good well that's not going to happen in, in, a, in yeah. a, uh, white communities. It's going to always be in the black and brown communities. Yep. And so it affected us greatly. And so that's what really got me engaged. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you say the, the juices were pumping. That's good. But, no, the, no. but I tell you, I, I got to say this. I tapped in on prayer. Okay. See, even though we were at COP27, I, I, I see all of the exhibits and all the people with, that are here from all over the world. But the one key factor here is, is that having God in your life, having the Lord in your life, and knowing that he has given us a plan and they wanted us to take care of it. And because of the fact that, that you got people that don't, or don't care one bit about what, how you feel or what, or what you think, but God does. And God has a way of turning things around. If you notice... There hasn't been finances that would go back into those communities to make them whole. But now a door has opened. And now we're talking, as you hear Dr. Bullard and Dr. Uh, 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 Wright talk about it, Peggy, they're saying now we've got billions of dollars being able to target those communities that have been disenfranchised. Let's talk about what you just said there, though, in regards to faith. And, and, and particularly, well, you, you talk about Jesus, which we know. Amen. Yeah, it's damn fine, but we want to be faith, and this is important because we want, everybody comes with different kinds of faith Amen. into this process. But what, what you're, you're talking about, something that's very important. How do you use this? I, I want to see how can the black church get more engaged? Do they need a Dr. Wright, a Dr. Bo to show up? Do we need that? Do we need more trainings? What's, what's needed? Because... We know, we, 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 I read somewhere, it says faith without works is dead. So right now, we can have faith, but we need the work side too. What do we need to get the black church more engaged so they can be a part of this conversation here at COP moving forward, but also be a part of the solution back home? Which, what do you think can be done? I know one thing is talking the language and, and connecting on a cultural way. What more can be done so we can usher that is the black community, the church overall, to be part of the solution for this climate crisis? I believe that pastors got to get out of the comfort zone. See, they're in a they're in a comfort zone that you know they're used to doing traditional church. And what I mean by traditional church is you 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 got your usher boards and your choirs and. You know, you go through those, those, I guess you could say actions or, or, or whatever you might want to call them. But when it comes to the community, you know, I can come and sit and hear a good choir sing. I could get hear a good sermon preaching. But, but what happens when the folk leave their, that, that, that service and go home? 
they're, they're dealing with food problems, paying the rent, a mortgage. They're dealing with uh, 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 utility costs that are going up. And, 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 and because, you know, you may preach a good sermon across the pulpit, but you're not helping them with a solution to the problem. And God is showing us that there's a solution to the problem. And I'm going to show you if you allow me to, if you just listen. But a lot of times we're so busy getting caught up on the homiletics and the systematic theology. That's right. Come on now. That we don't get focused on what it is that God said for us to do. He said, you're going to always have the poor with you. And, and because we have them in, he said, because you, you haven't done this to, to the least of these. So we got to concern, be concerned about them. So God has blessed us with a different type of ministry, a ministry of engaging with our community. We can, we have a, a school that we started called the Environmental Career Workers Training Program. We deal with kids, young people from ages 18 all the way up in the 60s. They come, and it's a school that Dr. Beverly Wrightman started through the youth side called uh, uh, the Environmental Career Workers Training Program. And within the last four to five years that we've been working, we've seen guys have come in who have been incarcerated, trying to get back on their feet. And then you got to remember, most of the time, our track record has always been teaching our kids, go out there, find a job at McDonald's or some type of restaurant to get your feet started. And another little light job, paying them whatever, minimum wages. But we knew that that was not enough to sustain that family. And a lot of these guys, and, 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 I, and I have to say this, you know, we have young guys who are having babies, making babies, and then all of a sudden they're incarcerated. And, and now who's going to take care of that family? So then when they come out and they want to do something, but seem like they can't get a job, why? Because they have a criminal record. Right. So the key is to help them develop some type of skills that they can actually go out and get a job. So this environmental training program that we have, uh, teaching asbestos, lead, uh, uh, mold remediation, they learn construction, they learn electrical. Uh, we teach them HASWAPR, OSHA, OSHA 30 certifications, so that when they do go out, and all of this is free, that because of the Deep South and the funding that they got from the National Institute for Environmental Sciences, it was able to help these guys get a leg up, so to speak. Now they're walking out there getting 15 20 $25 an hour jobs that they're able to support their families. That And, and, and that's one of the things that when you mentioned about pastors getting involved. Yep. Pastors have to understand that, look, yeah, you're going to see a young woman walking there with two or three kids, maybe even four kids hanging on their leg, mama, you know, but they're trying to figure out a way to survive. And they're looking for the church. And, you know, yeah, they, they, we think that they're coming in for a hand out, but we need to understand that they need a hand up. Come on now. And we're missing that part. And that's the part that I think that if pastors get engaged, and I can, I can tell you what I did in my travel, in my growth, I joined, I, I became a part of emergency management in Escambia County. I found out when I joined emergency management, there was not too many blacks at the table. Hurricane hit, a disaster hit, places like American Red Cross, uh, the ones that were supposed to go out and help the community to get them, get them back on their feet. Well, they were going out, but they weren't going in the black and brown communities. They were going to the white communities. Right. And so, because of the fact that 
through prayer and God directing and saying, he touched the heart of a, of, a, of a director that was in charge of it and said, look, we want you guys to come in because we want to reach the black community. That was, that was God sent. And because of the fact that, that was, we knew that it was God sent, when we stepped in, we began to work. I went through all the training that they had. Wow. I went through the FEMA training. I took the 100 course, the 400 course, the 300 course, the 700 course, the 900 course. Passing all of these courses and stuff, understanding how they work. They put a thing together and said, you know what, we want you guys in the, in the, in the center wow. when a disaster hits. And so now the black and brown communities, when they call in, they got a voice. They got somebody sitting there. And God has been able to place me in that position. I don't try to take any glory. I always give God the glory for everything that he has done in my life. I just want to be a vessel used by him. Now, you asked, you made a comment or a statement about what can we do with other pastors? Now, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to show you within the two, last two years what has happened. Because of the fact that we were preparing for this last storm that came in the Pensacola, mm -hmm. with the last hurricane, Sally. Yep. I was able to, with the help of God, go around and solicit all the churches that I can put a flower at their door, mm -hmm. inviting them to come in and be a part of emergency management, to give them an idea of what emergency management was all about. That was God's sin. The door opened. I had maybe 40 pastors, 40, 50 pastors in the Pensacola area come in, and then they would begin to get trained on what it is they need to do for their parishioners. Wow. Brother, when you got that kind of, you, you know, I, I, and, I, I'm a, and I'm not a, the type of pastor that goes out and meet all the pastors. No, no, I understand. I'm, I'm I understand. And, 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 and when I got out there and started putting the flyers out and stuff, then the guys start coming. And when they came and they, and they saw the presentation that we said, we had served people there. We had American Red Cross there. We had uh, 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 Grace, which is an organization that deals with after, after the disaster hits, they come in and help repair homes. You know you now have the insurance and the finances to do it. So they come in and they put tarps on their home and they have uh, groups of uh, uh, contractors who say, we want to volunteer uh, to come in and help in these communities. That's what was needed. And see, a lot of times, if you don't have the information, you can't give your folks nothing if you don't have it. And so that was the, one of the things that God blessed us that opened that door, started talking to the pastor, and now the word is getting around. And so I don't try to take any credit for it. No, no, it's, you, not me, well, listen, it's all right, though. You, you, I, I got it out there. You, you said it right. You are, when you are a vessel, I'm a vessel. Then listen. God got to do the rest. So you got to worry about. Amen. That's exactly. You don't got to worry about. Nothing else. Pastor, this has been a blessing. How can folks find you? How can they support you? And what's, what's, what's the next steps for the organization? Right now, with Union and Family Ministries, you know, I'm, I'm even I'm a pastor with uh, I have my own church, which is called uh, Revelation Christian Ministries. We do a food pantry, just something because you know I want my members of my church to get engaged. Right. And, and be able to minister to folks as they come in. I have a, a, a lady there, that, a sister there, that she's, she's awesome. She was a caregiver. She moved from Texas to Louisiana. And when her mother got sick, her husband passed away, her mother got sick, she moved back to Pensacola. When she came in, she brought a wealth of knowledge in caregiving. 
started her own podcast. Get that information out. See? So because nobody's concerned about the caregiver. So she began to minister to the caregiver. See, you can get burnt out with your family. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and, and so Revelation Christian Ministries, we we we're we we're part. We're, we we got something going on over here. But unity in the family, and what you said, how can they get in contact with you? Right. But reach out to unity in the family ministry. You can you can pull it up on the, on the website. Uh, uh, Doctor Calvin Avant, you'll see his name pop up. He's he's the director there. Praise God. I, I was brought in because of my background. Again, here we go talking about my background. My great background in the, in the military was in accounting. Yeah. So when Dr. Avan and I met, which I listed them, that's I, important. No, Amen. I, I came no in. No cash, no cause. All right. <laughs> I came in and he, he he brought me in as a program manager, mm. and 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 I handle all the finances. Mm. You know, and so and that's the other thing. You got to have somebody that you can trust. Most definitely. You know what I'm saying? And and God has been able to bless me to be there to assist him and just watch the different things that have happened. We have gotten grants now that. We got over a five hundred thousand dollar grant to do a program with our youth. We're doing a, a, a what they call a STEM program, and, and we were the very first pilot to take it to the elementary school level, as opposed to middle school and high school. Because you hear about STEM, high school, middle school, but you never heard about it in elementary school. And I tell you this in closing: we had twenty five students come in, and they were mixed Spanish. Blacks and whites. Mm. They came in, and you know when you start a program, you had you can only allow 25 in in, in the classroom. Normally, when you end at the if they get to the end of the program, we usually not have some tapered off. We started with 25, we ended with 25, because like right now, that's the future. And when we can teach them about environmental science and environmental justice. Guess what? Four or five years old, by the time they get to, to the high school or senior in high school, they're going to know enough information that you just can't walk in their community and do anything without them knowing about it. And so that's where we are right now. I appreciate you, man. And so, website, I'm going to sure we get the website. The website is uh, Unity in the Family Ministries. And my, I have a, a website that I've started. It's called Revelation Christian Ministries, rcm.org. I love it. I love it. Brother, y'all be blessed. It's just a blessing to see you and be Man. a part of the, of the podcast. Man, it's such a blessing to be with you, too. And it's Pastor Timothy Greer. God bless you. God bless you, my brother. All right. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.